Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about cultural euphemisms and the stigmas attached. Most of us have come to familiarize ourselves with and employ euphemisms to engage in polite conversation. We can use them to seem witty, charming, and socially adept. When I bring the subject up, I'm actually missing my parents because my parents were just very lovely people. Uh, my mom never used foul language. She never did. And uh, when she would be asked what was for dinner, she would use the euphemism, bees, knees, and chicken's eyebrows, if she didn't know what to say. My dad did his very best to avoid using foul language and use euphemisms instead as much as possible. As a joke, whenever he would come into a room and we'd be watching a television show and we'd all be sitting there with a blank, vacant gaze on our eyes, he'd walk in and say, what's the name of this epic? And uh, instead of sexual intercourse, he would refer to it as the well-known act. And instead of fecal matter or human waste, my father would refer to it as the proverbial substance. He never would thank my mother for dinner. He would always say, my dear, you've outdone yourself again, if that is at all possible. As much as my parents used euphemisms to be kind, polite, and avoid vulgarity, many of these terms are meant in the pejorative sense and not mere subcultural slang. There are a few clinical definitions that have been somewhat diluted and adapted for mainstream usage, and there are slang terms that are quite common. Euphemisms are quite often discriminatory. I will be mostly talking about euphemisms that are A, homophobic, which is a term I intrinsically dislike because the most dangerous people commonly referred to as homophobes are not afraid, but insidiously evil. B, weightism, or weightists, which is unbelievably widespread and offensive. And C, ageist. Now, uh, my favorite uh, euphemism for uh, homosexuality came from the obituary to a man who... Uh, was one of the first gay travel agency owners. And he never referred to himself as gay, and he never referred to other men as gay. He always referred to them as congenial gentlemen, which I thought was extremely polite. Uh, I also remember for many years, uh, Liz Smith, who was a gossip columnist in the New York Daily News and was read around the country and around the world, uh, always referred to Andy Warhol as a confirmed bachelor. Okay. Now, I'm going to repeat a number of these terms. Uh, Friend of Dorothy is obviously from The Wizard of Oz. Anybody who likes Judy Garland and had a, a, an emotional attachment to her was a friend of Dorothy Gale from Kansas and Judy Garland. Uh, the thing that I don't like is uh, when people exploit the term bisexuality, when a young gay star comes out after being in the public eye as a child or a teen. I firmly believe that their managers insist on saying that this kid is bisexual at first to somehow mitigate the likely anticipated derogatory impact it might have on conservative fans. For some reason, I don't get it. It is kind of dismissive and insulting to actual bisexuals because many of these young people are actively gay and it's like making bisexuality a way station to exploit instead of just saying that they're gay. Uh, 
I think it is wrong to do that because there is no reason to believe that intolerant, unaccepting people are going to suddenly become accepting of someone if sexuality is not something they are comfortable with. Stop saying that these youthful stars are bisexual because it damages bisexuals and bisexuality. I am also not too interested in the definitions or the clinical definitions for this episode because I have done pods about gay slang before and these that I am talking about in this episode are just euphemisms and their possible etymology not intentionally sexual activity specific, and not too much of the clinical stuff, although it does help to preclude the actual expressions a little bit. Uh, Cole Porter wrote You're the Top for Anything Goes in 1934, and I had come to believe that's where the expression top and bottom came from. It may have, but it didn't come into widespread uses until much later, which I will speak about. Uh, we have used terms to describe gay people as a poof, a fairy, a bender, a louie, a queer, a fag. The term drag originated in Shakespearean times. It is often attributed to Shakespeare. Uh, could have been Christopher Marlowe or any of their other contemporaries. Drag uh, was an acronym, supposedly, the apocryphal story goes, for dressed resembling a girl because girls were not allowed to perform in plays. We use the term dyke, bull dagger, queen, and sissy. There are terms such as cats that are established languages of slang, such as polari in Britain, sward speak in the Philippines, bahasa binan in Indonesia, and kaliarda in Greece. Now, I hope I'm saying this correctly. And this is all coming from Wikipedia. A variety of LGBT slang terms have been used historically and contemporarily within the LGBT community. In addition to the stigma surrounding homosexuality, terms have been influenced by taboos around sex in general, producing a number of euphemisms. A gay person may be described as that way, a bit funny, on the bus, batting for the other team, and again, a friend of Dorothy, wearing comfortable shoes for women, although such euphemisms are becoming less common as homosexuality becomes more visible. Isn't that clinical? Harry Hay, one of the earliest, loudest gay activists in the world, frequently stated that in the 1930s and the 1940s, gay people referred to themselves as temperamental. The term gay, although it was originally synonymous with happy and cheerful, which I still think it is, in the 20th century, it gradually came to designate someone who was romantically or sexually attracted to someone of the same gender or sex. From an unknown date, the Advocate.com editors had a list of 15 old-timey names for gay, which are also euphemisms. Before gay became common and accepted parlance, the world invented its own unofficial terms for men who dug men. Some names were self-created and others were thrust, often cruelly, upon gay, bi, and queer men. Before those words disappear forever, here is a linguistic reminder of days past. Mary, a common, mostly innocuous term of the middle 20th century used among gay and bi men. An alternative, Mary Louise. Light in the loafers. Mid-century American. It can refer more to demeanor than sexual practices, but is mildly derogatory. Friend of Dorothy, again, refers to Dorothy Gale and the Wizard of Oz, but also now also can be referred to B. Arthur as Dorothy Spornak on The Golden Girls. Bent, polite but derogatory. 
see the Broadway play and the film of the same name, origin most likely in the UK. Puff. Now this is a little bit explicit. Australian and British. Said to be derived from the sounds the budgie makes when expelling air from a freshly stretched anus. Don't say we didn't do our homework here. Alternative pufta. Flit. 1950s American slang popularized by J.D. Salinger's novel The Catcher in the Rye. Bugger can be widely used as the word, the well-known act, with as many meanings based on the word buggery or sodomy. From the UK, of course, it carries with it a rowdy feel as it is a word straight British men tend to favor. Fairy. This one denotes not only homosexuality but effeminacy. Please listen to Julie Andrews' version of There Are Fairies in the Bottom of Our Garden. Pansy, a lovely flower with a face, but we also see references to tanks used by Germans in World War II, pansies from Panzers. Okay, whatever. Here's a story. When British eccentric Stephen Tennant was but a lad, he ran out of the family mansion one morning to play, only to come back screaming to his mother in tears. When she queried him about his distress, he replied, Mother, there are pansies in the garden and they are staring at me. I can see that. Fruit, also fruitcake, British, possibly from the gay subculture language Polari. Fruitcake can also mean a crazy person. Uranian, earliest reference we can find. Carl Heinrich Ulrichs published The Race of Iranian Hermaphrodites, i.e. man-loving half-men, in 1864. The term came to be used mostly by German men, also Earning. There is still a gay touring agency called Uranian Travel. Hmm. Nancy Boy. Based on a vaudeville term, the Nance was a gay burlesque character that was a staple of the times, now considered derogatory. I saw the Nance starring Nathan Lane on Broadway. Pillow Biter. British. Reportedly, MP Jeremy Thorpe, a former leader of the UK Liberal Party, was accused of having a homosexual affair with Norman Scott, a model. He claimed to have had to bite the pillow to keep quiet so his wife would not hear him being buggered in the next room. The story seems fairly conflated, but amusing enough to repeat here. Again, this comes from the Advocate.com editors. Shirt lifter? Well, obviously, you don't want to get your shirt besmirched, do you? British? They seem to have as many words for gay as Alaskans do for ice. See the films Another Country or Maurice. British. Invert. Essentially meaning that despite outward markers of male and female gender, a person's sexual nature was inverted. Popular at the late 19th and early 20th century by sexologists, but doubtfully used among the actual inverts. Top and bottom. The terms top and bottom emerged as descriptors of a sexual binary in the gay leather culture of the 1950s and the bondage and sadomasochism BDSM culture of the 1960s. Well, what do you know about that? B. Waitest is the next is the next category. Uh, there really are a great many people who were born to be large. There is no judgment to be taken. It isn't a value proposition. They are going to be large, and they agonizingly struggle to keep their weight down their entire lives, which is excruciatingly painful both psychologically and physically. The social rejection is quite harmful to people's sense of well-being. We all do it, too. It is such an easy way to express disapproval of anyone you dislike or disapprove of. Just throw a cruel broadside at anyone insecure and tack the word fat on, and nobody blinks. It's out right cruelty. 
and I am guilty of it. A lot of large people spend much of their lives fighting weight gain for health reasons and more commonly to be accepted and approved of by those who are considered more attractive. We do know that contemporary mores dictate what is considered attractive and that although quite superficial, attractive people are considered to be more intelligent and successful. We are all forced to focus on the approval of the mercurially younger, thinner, sexually identifying majority. I have been in the overweight pile, and it is gallingly offensive to have any idea, presentation, or reporting to be dismissed out of hand, then have someone considered more fashionably desirable repeat what you have said verbatim to be embraced and widely praised, lauded, applauded, and admired. I have a friend who said he had the exact same thing happen to him because he's brown, and a white boy repeated his entire presentation to applause and was hailed for his brilliance. We have a lot of work to do. If we are to move forward and pat each other and ourselves on the back based on merit and real value, we've got to do something about the way we talk about each other. The ages stuff is infuriating, and it cuts both ways. We can say it to contemporaries and give each other the nod and understanding smile because it happens to everybody if you live long enough. If anyone younger than you says it, it almost never comes out complimentary. You can't tell people 35 years younger than you that you have a senior moment. You can say it to someone else your age, and everybody nods and smiles, and they understand. The ages euphemisms listed from AARP. Who are you calling young lady? And other ageist language that needs to change now. And this came from Amanda Duarte and Mike Albo in February of 2018. Older women wearing large eyeglasses and fashionable clothing. Surprise, there is nothing wrong with not being young. Except for a few incredibly insensitive jerks, most of us are increasingly careful to avoid using hurtful language towards people different than us. Consciously. Unconsciously, we do it all the time. This is a good thing. Why use hurtful language? It hurts. Still, even now, lots of people still say insensitive things towards the Asian community. They sure do. For instance, somebody saying, you know, Jack, he's old. Sounds kind of demeaning. So what do you say? Don't worry, we're here to help. This is a glossary of the cool, not cool, and just plain mean words that are used often to describe older people. Keep it handy. What is cool? Older. Interesting how that little er qualifier makes the adjective old sound inoffensive. After all, everyone is older than someone. Experienced. They may not know HTML or Snapchat, but an older person is unquestionably more experienced at staying alive on this increasingly insane planet. Just think, people older than you knew how to get across town without a GPS. That's how experienced they are. Wise. Certainly, this word doesn't apply to everyone. For proof, please visit Twitter. But for the right individual, this is a classy way to hint at age while also honoring intellect. A respectful, slight bow of the head is also a nice added touch. And I I have to add that for most people, there's a little innuendo that goes both ways on generations. So you can say this to people middle-aged and up, and they, they respect it and accept it. People younger, they just don't have patience. And I'm making a broad generalization, but you can see it in their eyes when you speak to them. I've had the experience where I said I'm old, and someone said, oh, you're not old, don't say that. And I know very well they know that I'm old. Uh, The term seasoned. This adjective hints that one has not only lived through many summers and winters, but has also been rubbed with the spice of life. 
on his or her journey and indicates a human with a complex flavor profile. Well, that's very complimentary. Sage or wizard, if you have lived past 45, are a halfway decent person and not cruel or mean, then yes, you are magical. Mature. This implies advanced emotional development and is an acceptable term as long as you don't pronounce with a hard T, as in mature. Then it sounds like Madonna trying to do Shakespeare. Please don't make us think about that. Perennial. Somehow describing people as plants feels respectable. I'm not sure I agree with that. Evokes images of thick leaves and fleshy blossoms. Like many older people, perennials possess the two most coveted qualities in plant or animal. They are gorgeous and hard to kill. Ageless, the Isabella Rossellini of Appalachians. The ageless person perpetually exists in a liminal state where time is irrelevant. Please call us this. Vintage, sexy, coveted, and expensive. A poochy dress, a jaguar E-type. It becomes more valuable as it gets older and is revered and passionately pursued by those of all ages who are truly in the know. It's also one of the search terms on Pornhub. Distinguished usually used to describe a man with a little silver in his hair and on his shirt cuffs. It conveys dignity, authority, and a healthy investment portfolio. Let's start using this word for women, too, shall we? After all, who could be more distinguished than Dame Judi Dench? We will accept Dame Maggie Smith as an answer. Other, an elder, hardy, enduring, versed a boss. Honorific words from other countries. Lao Shi, Sensei, Abuela, Abuelo. Do not call a man grandpa. He may be, but if he is not yours, do not do that. Terms that are not cool. Young, used playfully. An infantilizing attempt at jocularity by someone actually young. Example, a waiter greets a table of septuagenarians with, How are you young ladies doing today? Not good. You may be too young to know this, but there is nothing wrong with not being young. Now refill our decaf coffees. Of a certain age. Ooh, mysterious, spooky. A number so scary that it can't be said out loud, lest it conjures evil spirits. Elderly. Let's reserve this word for the over 95 set, please. Adorable. Puppies are adorable. We're adults. The fact that we are interesting or funny does not render us infantile. Save this word for baby goats. You can also feed them sweetie, honey, and deer. Over the hill. Kid, no one knows what the hill is or what side of it any of us is on. Kindly reserve this term to estimate your location when we are a half mile ahead of you on a hike or in an intellectual conversation. Cougar, gilf, guess what? Older people have sex. There is no need to distinguish our sexuality from that of 23-year-old Instagram models. The sooner you embrace this, the better and longer your own sex life will be. Swipe right. Other. Senior citizen, blue hairs, feisty, and spry, and just plain mean. Dried up. Must a person be described by the volume of fluids they produced? Okay, you leaky, oily squirt. Little old lady, you are making an older woman sound frail and weak when saying this. But think about it. According to research, shorter women live longer than tall women, and women live longer than men. Ergo, shorter women have way more staying power than anyone. Grumpy old man. Aging presents frustrating challenges, especially in our youth-oriented, pouty, selfie-snapping culture. Maybe they're not grumpy. Maybe you are just being irritating. Get off that damn lawn already. Grandma or Grandpa, again. 
Don't use such nicknames for people whose reproductive history you do not know. Also, a lot more grandmothers don't want to be called grandma anymore. There's a bunch of different terms. I'm not going to go into it. Geriatric, anything that references hospitals or medical facilities should be avoided. People aren't decaying in front of you. Old coot. What is a coot? Is it an insect? A toothy rodent? A weird skin growth? Do you even know what you're calling us? Fun fact, a coot is a tough, adaptable water bird. They can fly and swim. Can you? Other. Geezer. Fogey. Codger. And again, for me, everybody younger than you is consciously or unconsciously conditioned to look for signs that you may be slipping. If you become absent-minded for an instant, it confirms that you are over the hill. You just can't admit to having a senior moment, as I said before, in front of anyone not within a year of your age. This is all discriminatory, whether self or intra-subculturally imposed or externally We do it to ourselves, our peers and contemporaries, our elders, our youth, our colleagues, our competitors, our leaders, our followers, anyone younger, fatter, anyone with an issue whatsoever. We have so much to overcome and we all have to start somewhere. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. 